0: But listen, seriously, on this Bethel Men's Day, my heart's desire as your friend, as your brother, as your pastor, is that our men will experience joy in your life. I pray that you will experience joy in your life as you become a man of God, as you become a husband of God, as you become a father of God, ultimately to be used as an instrument of God. And I believe that the passage of Scripture that's before us today contains the most important secret to becoming that kind of man. In a word, the secret to finding joy in the journey is the word fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship with God. You see, staying in close fellowship with your creator, staying in close fellowship with your provider, with your sustainer, with your redeemer, that's the key. That's the greatest key to finding joy in your journey. Now, last week the Apostle John showed us how we as believers can uh, determine whether we are truly born of God and whether we are truly walking with God. He said that one who is born of God will walk with Jesus by faith. He said that one who is born of God will show it by walking in the righteousness of God. He said that one who is born of God will reveal it by how he walks in love for other people. And then he said, one who is born of God will celebrate it by walking in victory over sin. You see, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the Bible says, was very matter of fact. When he essentially said that Christians either know God and they walk with him or not. Either or. And we started calling him either or John because in the first chapter of 1 John, either or John gives us those benefits, but also today gives us more benefits to walking with God. In your Bibles, in the book of 1 John, if you'll go to Revelation and hang a left, you'll find shortly thereafter the book, the letter of 1 John. And in verse 3, he writes, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Here comes the good part. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John wants you to know. He wants you to know that if you're truly born of God, you can have full and abundant joy in this life and you can have a fellowship with God and with other people that's off the charts. It can be a great life. And you can find joy in the journey. You see, God doesn't invite us into this relationship with Himself so that He can steal your joy. No, quite the contrary. He invites you into this relationship so that your joy can be full. And He does that because He wants you to find joy in your journey. But if you're honest you probably say, I know some Christians that really aren't experiencing joy in their walk with God. Why is it that some Christians aren't really that excited about their faith? Why is it that some believers aren't really that enthused about their walk with God? Well, it's to those believers... That John is writing to today. In 1st John. You see there is this natural progression. To finding joy in the Lord. If our walk. Is in fellowship with the father. And his son Jesus Christ. Then our fellowship will also be. With other believers. Who are likewise walking with God. What John is saying. Is it's that unity. It's this fellowship with God and other believers that is the source, should be the source of our joy. He knows firsthand the joy that a close walk with the Lord can bring. And he wants you and I to experience that same joy in our lives. So today, listen up carefully, John uses Three little words. He uses three little words to show us three ways that joy eludes the believer. Three ways that joy escapes the believer. What are those words? If we say. He begins by saying joy eludes us if we say... That sin has no power. If we continue in the book letter of 1 John, verse 5, here's what he says. This is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Here we go. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The bottom line here is this. God is light and there ain't no darkness in him at all. No darkness in God whatsoever. So if there's darkness in us. We can't have fellowship with Him. And friend, if you can't have fellowship with Him, you can't have no joy in your life. In other words, joy will elude you. It will escape you your whole life if you walk in darkness or live in sin. Now when John says that God is light, what he's saying is, is that God is absolutely sinless. He is Absolutely and completely righteous. He is morally perfect in every way. Now at first you may think, well, why would a righteous and perfect God want any fellowship with the likes of me? A sinner. Well, then we remember, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus pay for my sins on the cross? Didn't he pay for my sins through his sacrifice? Am I not invited now into a love relationship with God? Into a fellowship with God that's like no other? Yes, we are. If that's the case, friend, now we can have joy. Now we can enjoy fellowship with God when we walk in the light. But we can also lose our joy... If we don't walk in the light. So the question begs to be asked. Okay what's the problem then? If I'm walking in the light. What's the problem? Well the problem is this. Some Christians claim to be in fellowship with God. But they're choosing to walk in willful disobedience with God. Anybody know anybody like that? Christians who walk in darkness, Christians who are living in a sinful lifestyle, friends, they face this downward spiral. It looks like this. First, they sin in some way, and they begin to immediately avoid the light. And as they avoid the light, they go deeper into darkness. And then they want to avoid the light even more, And that causes them to go deeper yet into darkness. And ultimately, if they keep on going, they can get to the bottom of a pit to which there may not be any return. Friend, before it's too late, they desperately need to get back to the light. And the primary source of our light is the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, the Bible says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the source of our light. So when believers begin this downward spiral, the first thing they try to do is avoid God's word. They stop going to church. When they're in this downward spiral, one of the first things they do is they stop reading the Bible. When they're starting this downward spiral, one of the first things they do is they stop hanging around with their Christian believing friends that are walking in the light. Why is that? Because they don't want the light shining on them. It seems that every time they come to church... God arranges the message by a preacher or the lesson by a teacher to speak to their dark condition. And they don't want to hear it. And so they avoid the word. They avoid other Christians who are walking in the light. Why? It's just too convicting. And they really don't want to change. But the truth remains. If we say... That we have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, if that's the problem, what's the solution? What is the solution? Well, there are two things that the Bible tells us that we can do to reclaim our fellowship with God. The first thing is, you can change your walk. Beginning of verse 7, John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So, at the first moment that you detect that you're beginning to drift from the light, the first thing you need to do is change your walk. Immediately turn your tail right back around and head right back to the light. Head right back to church. Head right back to reading your Bible. Head right back into fellowship with your Christian friends and neighbors. Will it feel right? Maybe not. But this is a choice of the will. Not about emotions. You're choosing To walk in the light. It may not feel good. But I got to tell you. That walking back to the light. Is the right choice. It's the best choice. And it's the wisest choice you could ever make. So if you want to reclaim. Your fellowship with God. Begin by changing your walk. See it's not necessarily about anybody else. It's about your walk. Secondly cleanse your hearts. Look at the end of verse 7. John says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, moving back into the fellowship of the light results in believers having their hearts cleansed from sin. I love that the blood of Jesus and all that he did on Calvary's cross provides us with this ongoing cleansing effect. If we're hanging out with Jesus, if we're in fellowship with God, if we're in fellowship with his people, then this continual cleansing effect takes place by the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Just walking in fellowship with Jesus cleanses us from all sin as believers. And when we're cleansed of sin, something else happens. You're also cleansed of guilt. When you're cleansed of sin, something else happens. You're also cleansed of shame. And when you're cleansed of guilt, and when you're cleansed of shame, then you can walk in the fullness of joy in your life. But if you deny the power of sin, joy will elude you all your life. But joy also eludes us if we say, That sin is not present. Let's continue to read in verse 8. Here we go. John says. If we say. That we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something else that. Christians sometimes say that makes joy elude them their whole life is they don't have any sin in their life. Well, what's the problem with that? That sounds great to me that they don't have any sin in their life. Well, the problem is this. Aside from being totally foolish, saying that you don't have sin in your life is totally idiotic. Because every one of us do. Somebody say amen. But there are some theological geniuses who have said incorrectly, they have incorrectly taught that when a person becomes a Christian, that all of a sudden their sin nature is eliminated. It's wrong. It's false. Friends, listen, if I ever start teaching that junk, you just ask Janet if I ever sin. She'll straighten you out real quick, amen? She'll let you know that this ain't true. But it is true that we are given a new nature. We are given a new nature, but that old nature, that old sin nature, it's still there. It's not taken away yet. One day it will be, amen. And so now, what do we got? Now we got two natures to contend with. And Galatians 5.17 tells us about these two natures. The Bible says that, that the flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit wars against the flesh so that you don't do what you want to do. So we have these two natures that we have to contend with daily. And so what is the solution? What's the solution? Well, one poem said it best. And here's how it goes. Two natures dwell within my breast. One is foul and one is blessed. One I love and one I hate. But listen, the one I feed will dominate. The one you feed will dominate your life. The solution for our sinfulness It's not denying that we sin. The solution, the only solution for our sinfulness is trusting that God will forgive us on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross. Period. That's the only way that that forgiveness is going to occur. So what does that mean for me and you? That means that for me and you, our only responsibility is just to agree with God, to agree with the Word of God. Our only responsibility is to confess, not to some pope, not to some preacher, not to anybody else, but to confess to God that you do have sin in your life. See, according to verse 7, when you do that, When you agree with God on this issue of sin in your life, you'll become in one accord with him and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you continually from all sin. This is not rocket science, y'all. This is not some complex theological issue. No, but it does have a problem. You see, the problem with confession is what many Christians think that it means. Many Christians think that confession means, yeah, I did it, and then they move on. But that is not what confession means. Confession really means, God, I'm saying the same thing that you say about my sin. Confess means to call sin what it is. Sin. Confession means that you will no longer Disobey God. It means that I'm not going to commit these affronts to God. And these offenses to God. You see. Until we call our behavior. What God calls our behavior. We haven't confessed. We have to call it what it is. See when King David. Sinned in an immoral relationship with Bathsheba. David said. Against you. And you only, O Lord, have I done this evil in your sight. See, David realized that all sin ultimately is against God. You may hurt somebody else in the process, but all sin is against God. And so we got to speak to God on his terms, not our terms. So the solution for our sinfulness is not denying that we have sin, but confessing our sin to God and then receiving the forgiveness that Jesus died to provide. It's not that bad. It's not that difficult to understand. All Christians sin. We all live in this sin nature, whether you sin knowingly or unknowingly. But to remain in fellowship with God to maintain the joy of your salvation, you're going to have to come clean with God and confess your sins to Him. Joy will elude you if you deny the power of sin in your life or the presence of sin in your life. But John also says that joy will elude you, here we go, if you say. If we say that we don't practice sin, that's a little bit different. In verse 10, John says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him, God, a liar. And His word is not in us. In chapter 2, verse 1, John says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he himself is the, here's that word again, the propitiation, the payment that satisfies not only for our sins, but for the sin of the world. Now, denying the practice of sin is a little bit different from the previous point, denying the presence of sin. Denying the presence of sin is basically denying that you even have the ability to sin at all. But here... Denying the practice of sin admits, yeah, there's a possibility that I could sin, but it suggests that you didn't sin in a specific situation. You see, Christians do this all the time. Many Christians habitually try to justify or rationalize their sin before God and before other people. You've seen it before. Maybe they call their sin by a different name, some other euphemism. Maybe they call their sin a mistake. Just made a mistake. Maybe they call their sin bad judgment. Man, just had some bad judgment right there. Sounds a lot less horrible, doesn't it? Some people call their sin a weakness. Man, I was just weak in the flesh. I'm so sorry I committed that adultery. Weakness. Some Christians even say, well, I'm just kind of genetically predisposed to that kind of sinful behavior. They will call it anything besides what it is, which is sin. They may say, others are prejudiced. I'm just convicted. They may say others are conceited, not me, I'm just self-confident. They may say others are lazy, not me, I'm just very busy. They may say others are real impulsive, not me, I'm just proactive. They may say others lose their temper, but not me, I have righteous anger. So they use another word to describe their behavior so that they don't have to call it what it really is. But listen, y'all, I'm sorry. There are not two lists. There's only one list, and that's God's list. And we may not want to call our behavior sin, but if that's what God calls it, then that's what it is. It's sin. And we got to do something about it. So what is the problem? What is the problem? The problem with a person who won't admit that they have sinned in a specific situation is that according to verse 10, we make him out, God out, to be a liar. See, if God says that we have sinned, but we say that we have not sinned, somebody's lying. Somebody is lying because both of them can't be right. Insisting that we are right is the same thing as saying that God is wrong. And I got to tell you, it's impossible for God to be wrong. Our sins are not somehow God's fault. We are the ones who made that choice. We are the ones who choose to deny the truth. We're the ones who choose not to walk with Him. We're the ones who choose to walk in darkness. We're the ones who choose to ignore the light. We're the ones who choose to turn from our positive influences in our life. We're the ones who did it. So, we got to take the responsibility. We have to take responsibility for who we are and for what we've done. And we got to come clean with God. We should never try to offer up some lame excuse for our sin. We are God's children, and He wants us to come clean. So, when you sin, race to the, the throne of grace. Race to the throne of God and confess your sins to Him. So what is the solution? I mean, John's saying here that uh, he's writing that we may not sin. But guess what? He knows we're going to. Did you hear what he said? There in verse 10, no, in verse 1. He said, I write to you so that you may not sin. But he knows we're going to. He knows that we will sin So what's the solution? Well, the solution is found in verse 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defender. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself has paid our price. He himself is the propitiation, the payment that satisfies. Jesus, the righteous, is the only solution for we unrighteous ones. The only solution. Jesus is our only hope. And he's the only one we need. Only Jesus. Jesus stands before God as our defender. Speaking out against the claims of Satan. Who is trying to accuse you. Of being someone who hates God. Jesus is your solution. But friends, i got to ask this question, and I bet you do too. Why? I always ask God questions. Why? Somebody said, you're never supposed to question God. Well, man, I must be the worst sinner there ever is because I'm always asking him why. Why, if Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, why, if Jesus is defending me before the throne of God, why do I have to ask forgiveness for my sins? If he's taking care of business, then why do I have to confess my sins to God? Well, there's two things to consider right here, friends. Here they are. Listen up. You listen and say amen. Amen. Two things to consider. Relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. Through the finished work of Jesus on that old splintery cross on Calvary's mountain, Our relationship with Jesus is made possible. You can enter into a relationship with God through Jesus' sacrifice. However, when we sin, we break our fellowship with God. He ain't gonna be hanging with us when we're hanging in sin. And so, we don't lose our relationship. However, we do lose our fellowship until such time as we come clean with God and confess our sins. But then once we return, once we return to God and confess our sins, we now have an advocate, a defender who will intercede on our behalf and he will restore our fellowship with God. Do we not have an awesome defender You want to have an amazing advocate, an amazing Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Friend, have you lost the joy of your walk with God? I can't answer that for you. But have you lost the joy of your walk with God? I want to submit to you this morning... That if you will re examine these three if we say statements, if you'll re examine those statements, chances are real good you'll find the problem. And guess what? Listen carefully the problem ain't somebody else. If you'll re examine these statements again this morning, chances are real good you will find what is short circuiting. Your walk with God. And you'll find. What's been stealing your joy. It may be the power of sin. The presence of sin. Or the practice of sin. But if you'll make the necessary. Adjustments in your life. If you'd be willing to make the changes. In your life. You'll find the solution. And listen carefully. Your joy will be restored. And you'll find that you have an advocate with the Father when you sin. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you'll find that He Himself has already paid for your sin. You just got to come clean with God. Friend, I pray that you will let your resolution be God's solution in this coming year. And I pray, friend, that you will come and that you you will believe and receive the payment that satisfies even when we sin. And I pray that if you'll come clean with God. Your joy will be restored. Why? Because your fellowship with God will be restored. Not that difficult, is it? I I choose joy. Anybody else? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I praise you and thank you, Lord, that even though we have this ongoing battle with our sin nature, Lord, you have provided us an adequate advocate, a defender. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's already suffered and paid the penalty for our sins. And Lord, we just pray now that as believers, as Christians, as people who belong to you, that we wouldn't uh, deny the power presence nor the practice of sin, but that Lord, we would just come clean and confess our sins to you so that we can always walk in fellowship with you. And the promise of scripture this morning is that our joy will be full. We will find joy in this journey. Father, thank you for providing that. And thank you for loving us like you do. And now, Lord, I pray for the person that is considering coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Coming into a relationship with you. A fellowship with you. By accepting Jesus' payment on the cross for their sins. I pray you give them the courage. And the faith to take a bold step forward. Allow me the privilege of praying with them and showing them what the word of God says about how they can be in an eternal fellowship with you. Lord, we do love you. And there ain't no doubt in my mind about how much you love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen.